You kick my funny bone Each time you're near I double over You're listening to a special podcast produced by UMFM 101.5 in partnership with the Winnipeg Folk Festival. Running Thursday, July 7th through Sunday, July 10th at picturesque Birds Hill Park. Winnipeg Folk Festival is a celebration of people and music that has been one of North America's premier outdoor music festivals for over 40 years. I'm Michael Elts, host of Thank God It's Free Range, and this episode spotlights Bobby Dove. Born in Montreal and now calling Manitoba home, Bobby Dove is a country troubadour who harkens back to the 40s and 50s Americana country songs of unrequited love, lonesome highways, and hearts worn on denim sleeves. Bobby Dove will be performing on Saturday, July 9th at 12.15 at Little Stage in the Forest. For the full lineup, a complete list of set times to purchase tickets, and for more information on the Winnipeg Folk Festival, visit winnipegfolkfestival.ca. Montreal born but call the Interlake their home playing the Winnipeg Folk Festival Bobby Dove joins us by phone how's it going hi Michael I'm good how are you I'm good I, I have to say I, I I chuckled when I read that the Dove is now perched in western Manitoba <laughs> as, a, yeah. as a descriptor for for where you're calling home uh, how did how did that move come about how did you land in the Interlake I'm just gonna like straight up laugh over the chuckle because that's hilarious um, yeah, I, well, I followed kind of my heart out here and I was also sort of trying to escape Montreal in the height of the pandemic, mm. um, and my apartment and life. <laughs> and yeah, I really needed a change and, um, had this, uh, sort of like kind of a love affair type of thing that pulled me out here and I ended up near Brandon. So, I mean, because you're, you're a country singer from Montreal, which I, I have to feel is maybe anomalous. Like, is is there a country music scene that I'm just not hearing about here on the prairies? Or There is one. It's just very small. Okay. Um, and I was sort of 
probably helping to create it as well, you know, in my time there. Mm-hmm. Um, there is is a generation, not even a full generation before me, of really good country singer-songwriters in Montreal. Um, yeah, so there, there's definitely stuff going on in Montreal. It's just that it's not the main scene. Obviously, there's more of like an indie and international scene. Mm-hmm. Montreal with the Jazz Fest and with... Um, the kind of culture there in the East. Uh, but there, we do have a place in Montreal called the Wheel Club, where I spent a lot of time um, over the years learning country songs and playing with a country band. It's every Monday night they had a thing called Hillbilly Night. So I got really into that. And um, I met a mentor there who was actually originally from southern Alberta. And he was in his 80s and playing lap steel at the Wheel Club. Oh. And he started teaching me all kinds of uh, songs that were like hits in the 40s and 50s, but a lot of people have forgotten about. Like they're even sometimes hard to YouTube or find uh, online, type of thing. And did he just have them in his head? He had them in his head, but he also had them uh, documented on tape cassettes, uh, very well organized ones, and lyrics. And he was making mixtapes for me. Oh, nice. Um, and sort of imparting his. Uh, the lore of all these old country songs with me. Um, so his name was Bobby Hill, and uh, he's no longer with us, but he was a huge influence uh, uh, when I met him in, in Montreal at the Wheel Club. So did you grow up, like, did your parents listen to country music, or, like, what led you to country music that you then explored going to this club and getting right. into Hillbilly Night? Well, my parents did not, actually. I'm sh- I think they listened to m- mainly, like, the music of their era, which is, like, the baby boomers, so, like, you know, the Beatles and uh, Bruce Springsteen and wh- whoever else, you know? Right. Uh, and some soul music and different influences there. But I find, like, later on realizing that a lot of things do connect to country music, you know, like even uh, in those folk rock bands from the 70s for example. But no, I did not grow up on old-time country at all. Uh, so what led me there, um, what was it really? It's sort of like fortuity sometimes. Like somebody's like, hey, yeah, do you know who Hank Williams is? No, here's the song. Wow, that's great. And then you sort of go on a YouTube spiral and start listening to all this different kind of stuff. And then I was working, I was at the time going to all these open mics Um at the time, and then it's sort of, uh, I was working up the nerve to go to a country jam. You know, there were two in Montreal at the time that I knew of. One at Barfly, we'll call it, which was the Bluegrass Night, and then the Monday night at the hill, the Hillbilly Night. And eventually I worked up the nerve to go, and uh, then I just got really absorbed into that community because it just made me really happy. <laughs> yeah. Was there like like something about like say a Hank Williams song that like attracted to you? Was it like the type song writing or storytelling you wanted to do, or like is oh, it something totally. you were kind of already aiming for as as a creator? Yeah, I don't think I had ever been exposed to that level of hurting music before, and I think it just spoke to me completely, right to my soul, mm. and just the the level of lyricism and simplicity, and you know, because when I was like a teenager and stuff, I was growing up on more kind of, I would say. L- I don't want to say if it's more complicated, but a little bit more layered type of music like Tori Amos and Ani DeFranco and 
I mean, lots of other bands and artists, but. Yeah, I mean, like, Tori Amos has kind of, like, almost, a, like, a Baroque tendency with, the, like, the piano, and it's, like, very, like, ornamented at times. Ani DeFranco, I would say, was, like, a more direct singer-songwriter at times. Probably, yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, the song structures and everything, you know, with country music can be so simple, but then the the meaning behind them can be so, so much more complex, and I love that tension, you know? Right. So then moving to Manitoba, was that because there's more of a country scene out here or just the the desire to kind of get out of COVID in Montreal where things were probably harder to to socially distance at that point? Yeah, those are all very, very, very valid points. Yeah, those were all factors in me coming out here for sure. Right. Uh, So, I mean, you released the, the Hopeless Romantic record last year. Yeah. And, and that was in Toronto. But I understand you've been working with Mike Ehrenberg in the interim? Yeah. Well, my, I, I love Micah, and he's such a great artist um, and we uh, and producer as well. And we um, had a session where we did a, a couple of videos out at his Secret Beach studio. Mm-hmm. So that was before I moved to the inter. Like, that was last summer. I, I came out for uh, a weekend and... And uh, with Dan Russell, who's playing with me at the Winnipeg Folk Fest uh, on pedal steel, him and I were just starting to work together, really, really just starting. Like, we had played one show. We hadn't rehearsed. Um, And then we met up to do this video, which is on YouTube, uh, for my song, Sometimes It's a Lonely Road. And we we did record a couple of other videos, too, which I haven't put out. Right. Uh, so yeah, I love Micah, and I would love to work with him again soon. He actually just texted me the other day saying my music was playing at uh, the co-op <laughs> grocery store in Kimley. So I thought that was great. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. So you, you're <laughs> living near Brandon, and then you go up to visit him in Matlock, and maybe that's what gave you a taste of the Inner Lake, and that's why you're. Well, yeah, and I've also like toured through um, a few times already, and you now there's something actually similar. There is something a little bit more like home here. Than there was in Western Manitoba, like in in the Brandon area, you know, it's a little there's a little bit more culture shock. Mm. Whereas here in the Interlake, like it, it reminds me a little bit of the Laurentians that are north of Montreal, because we have Lake Country as well, you know, about forty five minutes an hour from the city. Right. And uh, you know, like I can get bagels in Winnipeg, <laughs> play gigs. <laughs> For sure, and I, know I can. I can. Um, I see Jews. <laughs> like I was brought up Jewish, so it's like where, like I'm in Brandon, right? I'm like, where are all the Jews? Like, not that I'm actually a, a good Jew or a practicing one. I'm just am. Cu- you know, cu- culturally more than religiously. Probably, yeah. Right. You know, I've got like. Uh, not that I like completely respect him, but you know the Woody Allen level of neuroticism and um, all kinds of uh, foibles and <laughs> eccentricities, you know, that didn't really match. Like I love cowboy music, but like, and I love like digging in the garden and stuff and planning of you know. But I wouldn't say I necessarily fit in seamlessly to you know into. Uh, into Western culture all the time, for sure. Right. How much does place impact your writing? Like, have you noticed, like, any of the output or songs you've been creating in the interlake, would you say they're different than the songs you wrote in Montreal, or? 
Well, I got to say that that kind of thing just sort of evolves with experience in life. So it probably is affecting my writing. Um, my output isn't as prolific as I want it to be right now because a lot of my energy in the last couple of months has been about moving and settling in here. Right. Um, I just got a piano. So I'm very excited about that. And it's just been tuned recently as well. Um, so that's the first time in my life that I've had a an actual real piano. And not saying that I'm any kind of prodigy on it, because I'm definitely not, but it's a great composition tool. So I can imagine that that is going to um, affect me and my writing a lot. Right, so I have to imagine you, you, you wrote on guitar before? I have written on guitar mostly. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I did for Hopeless Romantic... Uh, is I brought the songs that I was working on at the time before before recording the album. I went out to the Banff Center, and the main one of the main resources provided there besides the uh, mentors uh, who are great, who were great, uh, um, and the sessions where we were workshopping with other songwriters, which were also great. But one of the main things that you got was this little production hut where you can or like a writing hut where you can do your writing and playing guitar and kind of in solitude or you can invite someone in there. And one of the things that I had in there was a piano and it really did help me to finish songs that uh, like, and, and as a composition tool, even mm. though I wasn't playing piano on the record. It just kind of like helped you find melody and things like that. Absolutely. Yes. Melody and structure and inspiration new sounds. And what I love about the piano is that it's all laid out in front of you. You know, you don't have to put your hands into different shapes like you do on the guitar. And I've been playing guitar for like over 20 years, right? But, you know, and then there's this expectation when you've been doing something that long, you know, and you also get into sort of habits. Mm. But when you pick up, or well, you can't really pick up the piano, <laughs> but when you, let's say, sit down at a piano, like an, an instrument that you're not great at, but then all the keys are laid out and you can, you can kind of experiment in a different way with a more kind of, in a way, like a childlike approach, right? Then like, oh, I should be, you know, playing this really well or, you know, how, why is this not perfect right now? Like, it's not like that when you're doing something that you're less familiar with. So that's really great for me. You give yourself more grace? Totally. It's also interesting. I, I don't think I'd ever thought about it, but like the, the notes are right there, right? Like you're not <laughs> having to find them with your hands <laughs> exactly exactly and and it's something that i was i luckily very luckily was exposed to in early childhood having a piano in 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 our house when i was a kid so it was something that i did experiment with and i was not trained on actually i i was i was offered that when i was a kid i was offered like violin lessons piano lessons i was really fortunate um to have that support and you know I was such a hard-headed little demon that I did not like getting instruction <laughs> mm. and would have like you know I would have like a nightmare about my teacher and then quit or I was just a really crazy creative person basically my whole life that I've sort of done things at my own pace uh, my whole life and no I don't just sort of learn to accept that and and go with it not fight it. So going through that process then, like, because you have a huge collection of people that participated in Hopeless Romantic, did you kind of have to learn to, to work with others and to not be in your own head so much? Oh, 
No. Well, I mean, I've, I'd already had plenty you, of experience working with people at that point. Okay. Um, and I do love working with people. And I do take a, you know, uh, I do love when someone makes like a, a critique or suggestion in the studio because I normally go with that. Uh, I know I'm saying I'm hard headed and everything, but I think more about just like the pace of which I learn things, you know? Mm, okay. And when it comes to working with people, I mean, I just love it. It just enriches my life and the music and it just brings the songs to another level. I think some of them, some songs I, I like just leaving them sparse and solo. And I think, well, this one's just for me to play. And like, sure, you can stick a violin on this and you can put some brushes on that, but do we really need it? So I think a minimal approach is good a lot of the time. Is that um, with an eye to performing? Because like sometimes you'll be solo, like right, you won't necessarily have exactly eight players. It's good to have on an album. Road. Yes, yes, yes. It's good to have songs that you can manage on your own for sure, or versions of your songs that you can play them solo. And I, I feel like I yeah have been working on all of that. But I love playing with the band. Don't get me wrong. And um, when you're in a room with people who are like super seasoned professionals, right, who are like 30 years your senior, and it really does, you learn fast the do's and don'ts of uh, recording and performing. It's it's great. I mean, you, you mentioned your mentor was like in, in their 80s. That like, yeah. do, you, do you seek out like older people to kind of, because they've already kind of gone down that path a bit and, and sort of able to gather some experience from them already or like what, what's the kind of impetus for surrounding yourself with some some older players like you did yeah on the record? i think it's a really natural tendency for me and i think it's great for anyone of any discipline you know be it art or or their or their work of, of, of another kind to like consult with people who have been down the road that they're going on or some version of it you know because mm -hmm. there is really so much wisdom and experience there. So I think that's always attracted me and helped me to sort of build and grow on, on what I love and what I do. Yeah. And I think there's a tendency because if you're interested in older music, then the invitation is right there to be talking to people who have, you know, either been there when it was being created or, uh, you know, have been playing it for a long time for sure. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of intergenerational um, stuff going on, like communities going on for country music specifically because of that, because of the history of it, you know. Right, that like you as a, as a young artist need to gather some of that history or understand some of that history to push, push against it or push forward. Well, thanks for calling me young, young man. <laughs> <laughs> Younger artist. No, uh, I like, I'll stick with you'll young. You'll go with young? Okay. Yeah, just because I, I am curious in terms of like, particularly like in a, in a historically like white male genre. Gulp, yeah. Uh, and to be a, a queer artist in a, in a, you know, cis space in terms of wrestling with the history uh, of, of the genre or like in some ways mm -hmm. absorbing it and then recontextualizing it or what's what, what kind of work is that for you? Mm. And sometimes it's hard work, but I don't think it's completely the, the the history isn't completely white cis male. And I think in the last few years specifically, I've been learning more about that about the black country singers who were maybe not put in the spotlight as much. Right. And then there's people like Dolly Parton who completely broke the mold, you know, and wrote hundreds of songs for people and 
she kind of played with that image of the this like silly vapid woman but actually exposing to people how brilliant she really was while she played with this expectation of society mm. i don't know maybe i'm reading too much into dolly parton but i love dolly parton you know and loretta lynn and patsy klein and all the these strong you know female artists that were in the spotlight as well um but yeah i i, I it has been hard honestly like it is still primarily what you said and and it and it's not easy, but it's good. I think. I mean, I at least I told myself that, <laughs> you know. But it and it and it feels right because I I don't think it should just be a boys' club, and I I think most people feel that way now as well, you know. But and even for musicians, like you know, there's always that age old like you know, can the girl take a guitar solo, you know? But I was, you know, and I'm. I may be gender neutral, but I still, you know, have spent decades as, you know, in a, in a, in a woman's body. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and as me, just whoever, you know, I am certainly not a man, uh, certainly not born a man into the men's club. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had to prove myself. I think, I think a lot of women or non-men will attest to this, that they're, this feeling that you kind of have to work twice as hard and be 10 times as good as the next new guy who picked up the guitar being like, oh, I wrote a song, you know? Like, I don't know. I guess there's just this immense pressure sometimes, or there was, but now it's just about doing what I do and kind of not worrying about fitting in. Right. So... The album Hopeless Romantic, I mean, there's there's some linkages in terms of thematically amongst the songs. Like, did you think of it as like uh, an album that hangs together or was it more of a collection of like, these are some songs I've written recently that I think are, are best representative of where Bobby Dove is at this moment? Like, what was the, the mindset in recording the record? Mm, um, well, all those songs in my mind belonged together. Is that sort of, like, they they were definitely where I was at and uh sorry actually I think I'm like losing the thread of the question. That's okay. I think well, so, like they they tell the story of Bobby Dove at that time is kind of the Absolutely. Mm. And maybe even longer uh previous to that time because there's uh recurring themes in my life. <laughs> That's uh, I think any life has recurring themes. Exactly. We we sometimes spin exactly. our wheels. Uh, Bobby, before I let you go, I want to get you to pick a track off of Hopeless Romantic we can play for listeners. And if you have a reason why you're picking that song in particular or an anecdote about it, I'd love to hear that. Okay. Well, let's pick... Mm, good question. <clears throat> an anecdote. Ooh, I love anecdotes. <clears throat> let's pick Haunted Hotel. And um, that's track number... Gosh, what is six. it? Track number six, I think. Smack dab in the middle of the record. Yeah, let's go right to the middle of the record and, and say that's a... That's sort of a psychedelic ghost story that takes place in Wayne, Alberta, population of 17. Um, it's, uh, it, it involves a piano, possibly a haunted piano. In a um, hotel. And some uh, hallucinogenic influences. Ah. <laughs> and, a love, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a deep and haunting love. Right on. Uh, putting yeah. that putting that in the middle of the record. Like, do you give some thought in terms of like where so each song goes in terms of like the the path of the record? Oh, obsessive thought. Yes. Yeah. 
I thought long and hard, and I pitched my my song list to the end to the uh, producer co-producer slash engineer uh, Tim Vesley and to uh, co-producer Basil Donovan, absolutely, and and to fr- close friends, you know, yeah, wanting to just get that order right and have that story make sense for sure, and the sounds and the even the keys of the songs and the the beginnings and the endings, intros and outros or whatnot, for sure. Perfect. Well, we'll give that one a listen. Uh, looking forward to seeing you at FolkFest, and, and thanks very much for taking some time to talk. Thank you. I'm looking forward to FolkFest, and thank you very much for the interview. Please help me, I can't help it. We're together again in this room. Drunk at the piano
I'm Michael Elves, and you've been listening to a special podcast spotlighting Bobby Dove. We'll be performing on Saturday, July 9th at 12.15 p.m. at Little Stage in the Forest at the Winnipeg Folk Festival. To hear more featured artists, visit umfm.com and be sure to visit winnipegfolkfestival.ca to get tickets to this great event running July 7th through 10th at Birds Hill Park. You know me too well.